Today on Follow Friday, we're going to talk about Phantom of the Opera, creepy musicians, Fifty Shades of Grey, bad faith actors, air disasters, poorly designed game shows, and weird internet purchases. That's in a minute with author and YouTuber Lindsay Ellis. But first, here is the big news that I was teasing on last week's show. Follow Friday is doing a live podcast next week. I'm going to interview my former boss, Kara Swisher, at Manny's in San Francisco on Friday, September 24th. That is one week away from the date I'm dropping this episode. You can come see us in person if you're fully vaccinated and wearing a mask, or you can get a virtual ticket to watch live on Zoom from anywhere. Get your tickets now at followfriday.net slash swisher tickets. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. So let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. You can support the show and get bonus episodes for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash follow Friday. Today on the show is Lindsay Ellis. She's an author, a critic, and a video creator who you might know from her YouTube channel or from the PBS digital series It's Lit or the podcast Musical Splaining or from her best-selling science fiction novel Axiom's End. Or, failing all of that, you might know her as the face of an animated gif that says, thanks, I hate it, which is one of my favorites. Or more famously, the one of uh, someone getting hot dogs thrown in their face. Oh no, I didn't have to see that one. Yeah, no, that one is like will outlive me, will outlast civilization. Uh, like, by far and away is, like, the most shared image of me is one of me, like, in 2013 getting hot dogs thrown in my face. So, you might know me from that. You can find Lindsay on YouTube at Lindsay Ellis Vids, on Instagram at Name Brand Lindsay, and on Twitter at The Lindsay Ellis, and Lindsay is spelled with an A. Lindsay, welcome to Follow Friday. Oh, thank you for having me. So I uh, first started following you through your YouTube video essays. I think the first one I saw was called Is Beauty and the Beast About Stockholm Syndrome? So that was uh, maybe three, four years ago. To start off, explain the sort of videos you make and how you decide what topics to pick, what to focus on. Well, uh, I guess primarily I do things on film and uh, media. Uh, Like it started out being primarily about film theory, but it's branched out to be a little more like all-purpose And we do essay style videos. They tend to be pretty long form, like at least 30 minutes long. But yeah, I guess the way we choose it is just kind of following bliss, like start from like a topic and uh, a thesis or a question and just kind of expand it from there. Like the most recent one we did is about uh, Loki from the MCU and this discussion around is is he a narcissist or not? And what is it narcissistic personality disorder anyway? And, you know, so we did like a relatively short one on that, a mere like 38 minutes. The contradiction of Loki as a show is that much of the tension comes from Loki's history of narcissism. His history of narcissism is what makes him the most likely in the room to betray anyone at any given point. You're really good at doing awful things and then just getting away. What can I say? I'm a mischievous scamp. While at the same time most likely to do whatever it takes to be liked or gain power. 
There's this constant tension of will he betray Mobius? Will he betray Sylvie? Oh, Mobius, come on. What could possibly go wrong? We gotta properly test this theory. Well, here's a fun theory. You lure me out into the field and then you stab me in the back. And that's a theory I don't wanna test. Or uh, like an older one I did is about like the technical filmmaking prowess of Joel Schumacher in his Phantom of the Opera. So yeah, like I'll just basically pick a thing and try to do a take that hasn't been done to death because it's YouTube and all takes have been done to death. I think on your website, you describe yourself as a Phantom of the Opera thought leader or something mm -hmm. yeah. to that effect. <laughs> I've never seen the play. I've never seen the movie, but I gather that maybe I should steer away from the movie that I should hold out for, for the play. Or I mean, I feel like all Phantom media is worth seeing at least once just so you can be like, huh, you know, and the it's weird because the movie people really like that movie. I've like really? made some forever en enemies of like some Zoomers who like grew up with it, and I'm just like, no, it's it's it bad. It's like bad <laughs> on a technical level. It's bad as an adaptation. The casting is terrible. Like, but it's it's eminently watchable too. Like, I'm I'm very fascinated with like watchably bad things. Like, you know, Showgirls is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, the new Cats movie, like I was just kind of really fixated on for a while. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's part of the things we do. We're, we're working on a video about the Phantom sequel, Love Never Dies, which oh, no. was like an official sequel written by Andrew Lloyd Webber. He worked on it for like 10 years and it was like so universally reviled, it didn't even make it to Broadway. Like that was how, <laughs> like and for an Andrew Lloyd Webber joint not to make it to Broadway is like really saying something. Yeah. Well, I mentioned your novel Axiom's End, which is getting a sequel next month called Truth of the Divine. So for people who haven't read the first book, explain the, the premise of this series, of this alternate history you've made. Well, I say alternate history is it's very inspired by like alien invasion movies of like the 90s and 2000s. Uh, it's sort of like a genre hybrid of the two because I'm like, I've always been kind of fascinated by the way like science, like action movies and science fiction changed after 9-11, like how there was just like this really like remarkable demarcation in the way media was presented, where it was like in the 90s, it was very goofy and kind of brainless. And then all of a sudden after 9-11, it was like dead serious. And you had like Spielberg's War of the Worlds and Signs and even Transformers was like dark and gritty compared <laughs> to stuff that came out in the 90s. Um, so basically, it's like an alternate history that takes place in the late 2000s. So it's basically is like what if first contact happened during the Bush administration hmm. and trying to like kind of root it in this like, you know, hyper grounded re uh, <laughs> like realism. And, you know, Try, I guess trying to play that question as straight as you can while also still being very like tropey you know but it's also kind of a Beauty and the Beast story like with you know the, the aliens and so basically the series itself is sort of following this through line of like an alternate history where you know the aliens happen but neither of the two common outcomes, which is A, we come in peace, B, you know, apocalypse, neither of those things happen. Basically, human civilization, and in particular, at least in the first two books, America, kind of like have to react to this. Um, and so it's basically kind of a thought experiment of like, well, how would we react if like, civilization kind of has to keep on trucking the way we have, but now we have like this great existential quandary that like, at least in the universe of the book is heavily politicized. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so that, uh, that the sequel truth of the divine that comes out October, oh, October 12th, October yeah. 12th. And yeah, the, so the, the first one was, uh, or rather, okay. So this, this, the second book is much more about like 
humanity's reaction to the events of the first book. And so I guess it's a lot more human focused uh, than mm-hmm. the first one. And so, that you know, there's a bunch of new characters. Most of them are human. And so I guess that's more setting the tone uh, for the rest of the series, which hopefully I'll get to actually finish. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Truth of the Divine. Let's find out who Lindsay Ellis follows online. You can follow along with us today. Every person she recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. It's Follow Friday. Lindsay, before the show, I gave you a list of categories and asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category Someone You Followed Forever, and you said Todd Nathanson, better known as Todd in the Shadows. Although a bunch of sketchy fan websites claim that Todd Nathanson is not his real name. I don't know about that. It's not. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Well, I'm going to call him Todd. He's on YouTube at Todd in the Shadows. Todd is a video essayist like you are, except he focuses on pop music. So explain how his videos work and what you like about them. Uh, So he does, I guess, shorter form videos. Like they're also uh, a lot more scripted than um, like kind of more in the essay category, but they'll run from like 15 to 20 minutes. And so he has like several, uh, I guess, like shows. Like one is just pop song reviews, which is exactly what it sounds like. And is, you know, will, will be about like a top 40 single of some sort. But, you know, whenever he tackles a single, it's never just like this song. It's like we need the context. So it's like, let's talk about Justin Bieber. How has he got here? How has his, you know, evolution changed? How has his image changed? How, why is he on every song? Why is it you turn on the radio and he's everywhere? When will he go away? When will this plague end of Justin Bieber? I said in the last review that in the wake of scandal after scandal, Bieber's newer singles have an unmistakable meta quality to them. This is the most obvious on Sorry, which on a literal level is about a romantic relationship, but has been understood by everyone as Bieber apologizing directly to his fans and the public for the six billion embarrassments he piled up between 2012 and 2014. And the public has lapped this apology right up. They forgave Bieber with wide, welcoming arms. And that includes, I gotta say, me. Look, you know me. I am loathe to praise anything Justin Bieber does because I find him so profoundly uncharismatic. It took me months to admit that I actually liked What Do You Mean? But sorry? I don't know what to tell you, despite my resistance to Bieber and my distaste for him. Look, there's just no way around it. It is just a fantastic sounding song. Whenever he uh, tackles a subject, it's, uh, you know, tries to paint like a complete picture while also delivering like an opinion on whatever the song is. He also has a, a show called Train Records, which is about albums that kind of ended careers, arguably. Hmm. And so it'll be like how, uh, you know, Van Halen's career ended with this record or Oasis ended with, uh, you know, their, their record in 1997. And like, why was this album like so bad that it ended a career? Um, mm-hmm. Was it actually that bad? Did it deserve its negative reputation? Like what other factors might have led to like this career ending or this band breaking up? So, like, that one I, I, I really enjoy. I think that's probably my favorite of the series he does. Train Records, is that what Train it is? Records, yeah. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> and then he also does um, another series, I think, called One Hit Wonderland. Yeah, One Hit Wonderland, which is basically like a, you know, again, exactly what it sounds like. Okay, here's a sort of like almost like a behind the music on a band that is a one hit wonder. And sort of like, you know, how did they become a one hit wonder? Uh, and asks the question of, did they deserve better? 
you know, did they deserve to have like a real career? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> you know, sometimes it'll be like a genuinely like talented person that just like became famous at the wrong time. Sure. You know, maybe their genre was on the way out or like they had some tragedy or something or like they like in the case of the guy who sang Return of the Mac just kept ending up in jail like so you know the personal issues kept like you know kept them from having a career that took off so what's your um how, how did you first start following todd like what was your entry point into his you know many types of videos here well he's also like one of my best friends so again like i'm extremely nepotistic yeah. um <laughs> but, <laughs> totally but the reason but yeah but the reason i put him on here is like he like when i say follow him forever like uh he started about when i did about 10 years ago but like his of all the people that like i you know knew of from back then or knew back then like his is the only channel that i still religiously follow and i think you know even though his um format hasn't really changed i think he's you know really grown as a writer and, uh, you know, he, he still kind of finds ways of, you know, making it feel fresh and not like he's saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I still, uh, I guess, like, I think I, I do tend to watch a lot of my peers and colleagues because I find them inspiring, such as it were. You know, it's like <laughs> it, it gives you ideas for your own stuff. And so I think he's really good about that. So that that's why I, I put him there is just because, like, even though, like, I have known him forever and have, uh, you know, you know, been watching his stuff forever. That's not true of like most of my colleagues from like the early 2010s. I've like kind of fallen off most of them. Right, right. Well, if you had to pick one video of his that's like the perfect entry point for a new viewer, someone who wants to start watching Todd's channel, but you know, there's a lot of videos, there's 10 years of videos, they don't know where to start. What What's the one video that you would suggest they start with? Well, he recently did a... Uh, video about Aaron Lewis's new song, who you might know as the lead singer of the new metal band uh, Stained. I do not. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you remember Do you remember Limp Bizkit? It was like yes. one of their like protege bands. Okay. Like their big protege band. And so the lead singer left the new metal scene and is now a struggling country singer. Um, so like that, he had a top 20 hit recently by uh, basically catering to angry conservatives. Oh, great. Basically, you know, explaining like, well, how did this get to be on the top 20 when it's a terrible song that nobody likes, even the people that it's like catering to? I thought that one was really good. Any of the train records, uh, I think, are good. Like the one he did on Oasis, their album Be Here Now is a good one. Uh, he also did a train records on Robin Thicke's follow-up to Blurred Lines. I didn't know there was a follow-up. I thought it was just... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really bad. Like, he, it's kind of infamous. It's called Paula. It's about his wife, Paula Patton, who left him after Blurred Lines came out because he was a philandering... Um, fellow and so he wrote an entire album to get her back and it has a song a lead single was the lead single was called get her back and it's just like really creepy and manipulative oh no that's Um, that's terrible (laughs) yeah so um yeah any of the train records are good well that was todd nathanson he was on youtube at todd in the shadows it's final friday let's move on to your next follow Lindsay, I asked you to tell me about someone super talented who's still under the radar, and you said Amanda the Jedi, who's on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Amanda the Jedi. She says in her bio that she does video essays about pop culture, current events, and a lot of movies. What do you like about her channel? 
Well, there's a part of me that's just like, how are you so prolific? I'm like, one video <laughs> a week? How there's do so you many, yeah. do that? Um, but, well, she'll talk about a lot of the uh, topics that I, I think, like, I don't want to say that I also talk about, like, basically, she'll just kind of pick a piece of media. Right. Um, like, it could be, like, whatever the Netflix movie of the week is that everybody's talking about, or Loki, or, like, Twilight, or Fifty Shades of Grey. For one thing, she's really funny and animated. And I guess it's kind of rare that you see women, like, usually women in the media sphere on YouTube are very, like, kind of sedate and don't uh, <laughs> don't allow themselves to get too animated. But she uh, she she's very high energy and a lot of fun, uh, but also kind of like we'll do these deep dives into like, you know, no one ever gets sick of Fifty Shades of Grey deep dives. It's just funny. <laughs> you know, it's the same same with like Twilight. It's like no one ever gets sick of Twilight deep dives, uh, especially because she she was used to be a big Twilight fan. So it comes from a, you know, uh, a personal a personal place, place of knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, those are just it's just sort of the the thing where uh, somebody will take something that like either she might not have any interest in or you know something she like has a personal attachment to like a nostalgic attachment and just kind of makes it entertaining and also her videos are like relatively short like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like you know, 20 minute range well, I guess I mean she's, she's doing like one video a week I think I think yeah. if, she, if she were publishing your length of videos like some of which are like feature length movies basically uh, maybe maybe harder to do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah one of her most recent ones is called Loki and Existential Dread and your most recent video as you mentioned yeah. earlier is Loki the MCU and narcissism so different angles on the same pop culture phenomenon franchise IP whatever you want to call it what what would you say is like the biggest difference between your respective styles like when you watch her videos you know what do you what do you see as the thing that really demarcates the, the two types of videos well, I think aside from her being younger, I think she's more honest. She seems less dead inside. She <laughs> doesn't fear her audience in the way that I do. So she doesn't probably, I mean, that is honestly what takes us a really long, that's part of why it takes us so long to do anything is, you know, A, burnout and B, like having to work around every potential controversy and like, do we accept the risks of saying this or do, you know, you know, every single thing, is it going to be like a big deal? Uh, or like on the, on the other side, it's just like, are we going to say a thing that is, you know, defending some marginalized groups? Are we going to, are we ready to incur the wrath of, you know, the transphobes? Uh, you know, and it's just really exhausting. I think that's the thing. It's just like, she's not a teeny channel. She's like, you know, six figure followers. I think there is something like when you're kind of like uh, in that below half a million range, you haven't really got, um, well, I guess she's just barely below half a million, but you, you know, you haven't really caught the attention of these bad faith actors. Uh-huh. Um, and when you do, it really affects your ability to, you know, put stuff out and like be unfiltered. Cause that is, you know, that's part of why people who are up and coming are able to be so prolific. And, you know, the more you do it, the less prolific you are because you just have to it's really basically impossible to kind of work around these bad faith actors and you know it's just sort of like when you know one of those kind of sad things where it's like you know i i see this with every single person i'm like once you start getting around the like six seven hundred range that's when you get their attention and that's when you you know start getting like aunties maybe depending on like something you said um and it's just like sooner or later it's gonna get to you and i think that is true of pretty much everybody you know it's like less true for men but like it's still kind of true like they'll come for you eventually especially if you're like 
<laughs> any shade of progressive. Right, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you, you identify them, I think, correctly as bad faith actors. But it's, I wonder, like, all the work that you put into anticipating how people might react to something. Unpack that a bit for me. Like, like is that for the benefit of people who might be swayed by the bad faith actors or i guess like what why you know why well, is well, that let me give a, you an example um yeah we um so we did a couple years ago we did a video about robin williams and his feud with like jeffrey katzenberg and michael eisner now as we were making it we did, it didn't even enter our mind that katzenberg and eisner are jewish and then when we put the video out uh we were like you know this like early 90s disney thing is funny you know it would be funny is do a video about the feud between Eisner and Katzenberg because it's just like mean girls drama. It's so petty and bitchy. And when the video went up and it kind of went viral, I think it's like my most viewed video, around when it started to hit the one or two million views mark, the anti-Semites come in and start like spewing all these conspiracy theories about how like Katzenberg killed Williams or whatever. And um, as that happened, it was like, Oh, well, if we if we do a video about Eisner and Katzenberg's feud, is this adding fuel to the fire? And we canceled the video just because we didn't want to risk inviting more anti-Semites. And so, like, the feud between Eisner and Katzenberg has nothing to do with their Jewishness. Like, they're just petty bitches. But like, (laughs) just just the knowledge that these people might weaponize it. It just made it not worth even pursuing. Okay, so that that, that makes sense. So, so basically, it's it would invite so much of the wrong kind it of attention. Could invite. It like, could invite. Like that's the thing is like yeah. you don't know. Like it could be nothing. Right. But just like the knowledge, like it's just like wasn't something that we felt very passionate about. And basically, sort of the uh, you know lesson learned from that was like don't say anything remotely negative about anyone Jewish, even if they did something kind of iffy. Wow. That's a level of responsibility, I guess, when you have a gigantic platform that, yeah, that's uh, doesn't occur to, to, to most of the most smaller. Yeah, players. exactly. Yeah. And I think it's just like, you know, that, that is kind of the truth is like the bigger you get, the less you output because yeah. of this sort of thing. Like, huh. you know, not necessarily anti-Semites, but just like you invite more and more like it is it's just kind of sometimes overwhelming just like the flood of people that say like these nasty things will be like, you know, racism, misogyny, transphobia. And it's just sort of like. You know, it's all, it's sort of a question of like emotional energy. Do you have the wherewithal to, you know, endure these people? Like, uh, you know, whenever I did the video about transphobia, like that's putting a target on my back, if nothing else, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just like, I know that sounds like, wow, how privileged of you to say that you're the target, you know, but it's just like, at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, like, I don't have any skin in that game. I don't have to say anything, you know, and it's just like, just by like doing the video uh, about like you know transphobic tropes in media over the last 50 60 70 years it does invite a lot of like really you know cruel bad faith actors that just kind of add you to their list of targets and that absolutely happened and i knew that would happen and that was just sort of like a risk we had to accept you know it was just like uh, or not even a risk it was a consequence and like this is true for like 
you know, anyone that is either a trans creator or even remotely supportive of trans people, but like the more out you are about supporting trans people, the more of a target you become. That's just the reality. And this is true, like, of anti-racism, of, you know, uh, like, <laughs> well, it's not even to touch on misogyny, but it's just like, right. y- the smart thing to do is just to be really basic and not stand up for anyone, never stand up for yourself. And because it's just like, Every time you do, you you kind of like whatever group is adding more targets to, you know, destroying their culture war uh, is just going to add you to it. And that's that's just the reality. And so it's just like the more the, the more you produce, the less you want to produce because you just kind of add up this roster of enemies, like both on the left and the right, as we've seen. Yeah. That's that's dispiriting, but I'm glad that you, you and other uh, creators keep on doing it anyway, even if it does you know diminish your your output. I mean, more generally speaking, and back to Amanda the Jedi's channel for a bit. Like, film YouTube is a very big kind of complex world. Lots of different channels, lots of different people with different you know angles, different lanes that they're in. Like, how much when you are preparing your own material? How much are you watching folks like Amanda and watching other folks who are in the you know pop culture film space that, that, that you are? Are you watching their essays and and kind of taking notes on how they are on, on their takes on their reactions? Not really. Um, I think we just do kind of fundamentally different um, material. I think her side is she's more of like um, enthusiast youtube uh whereas mine tends to be more like essay style uh like you know we'll try to root it in some like research not that she does no research but like you know i guess we kind of frame it from like more of an academic lens which is another reason why it takes so long and also just like we have very different styles i i think in terms of uh inspirational i will look more at like people who do things that are more similar to what I do, like, you know, ContraPoints or Todd or H-Bomber guy. Uh, but like, I think what, like where Amanda's concerned, it's just like someone that I will watch for fun. Yeah. <laughs> which is also necessary. Yeah. Do, do you, uh, is there a particular video of hers? Um, again, like a good entry point or a favorite that you recommend that you remember seeing? Um, there was a Netflix movie that nobody watched called 365 Days um, that she did a video on, which was pretty funny. Any of her Fifty Shades, which of which there are many, um, yeah. <laughs> any of the Twilight ones, again, of which there are many. She just she just released one about the new Cinderella movie, which everybody hated. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that should be fun. Well, that was Amanda the Jedi, who's on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Amanda the Jedi. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Lindsay Ellis. Today's show is brought to you by Follow Friday Live. Our very first live episode is coming up on the evening of Friday, September 24th. I'm going to interview New York Times contributing writer Kara Swisher live in person at Manny's in San Francisco. If you're in the Bay Area and you're fully vaccinated, then please come on down and join the fun. If you can't be there in person, though, you can still watch the show live with a virtual ticket on Zoom. I worked with Kara for many years. She's one of my favorite people, but please don't tell her I said that. You might know her from the podcast we worked on together, Recode Decode, or from her current shows, Sway or Pivot. Or you've probably read something she wrote in the New York Times or before that at Recode or Vox. I'm really excited for this live show. Kara is so fun to talk to, and I hope we'll see you there. You can learn more about the event and get your tickets at followfriday.net slash swisher tickets. 
That's followfriday.net slash swisher tickets. It's Follow Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Lindsay, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone who's an expert in a very specific niche that you love, and you said Disaster Breakdown, which is on YouTube at Disaster Breakdown. Most of your picks today... I was researching them, and I was excited to dive into their work, but I took one look at this YouTube channel, and I was like, nope, 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 it would be (laughs) unhealthy. It would be unhealthy for me to get into this. So please explain what Disaster Breakdown does and why I am so afraid of them. Uh, He he talks about plane crashes. (laughs) Just a a channel about plane crashes. Um, (laughs) That's my dirty secret is, like, I'm addicted to disaster YouTube. Uh, Like, I could have, like, there's some that are, like, about, like, there's another guy named Brick and Mortar who does like structural collapses. Oh my gosh. Um, and another guy called Plainly Difficult, which will be like also about like engineering failures or like nuclear <laughs> disasters or dam breaking. But like, uh, let's see. I guess I like, because uh, there's a lot of plane crash YouTube channels. I, um, I, I found out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, I guess I like Disaster Breakdown better than the other ones uh, because even because he's only got like, he doesn't even have 50,000 followers. Yeah. Um, yeah, just because I think I think his are like a little more well researched, mm-hmm. and uh, I, th- I think he comes from uh, an aviation family. Um, and I, yeah, it's like I know nothing about this guy. I know he's in Europe somewhere. Uh, he's some like he's got this really vague European accent. Getting a plane to land safely at an airport is a delicate process. The aviation industry spent decades developing optimal, consistent, and safe procedures for pilots to follow in landing their aircraft. In the morning of April 19, 2000, this relationship between the plane and the airport broke down as Air Philippines Flight 541 crashed on its approach into Davao City. But yeah, I j- just basically I was like, well, what do what what is like my favorite uh, plane crash channel, and uh, that would probably be Disaster Breakdown. Because I guess there's a lot of aviation channels, um, but like I guess like is it, there's like I don't want to name names, but like there's some that are like a lot more polished, mm-hmm. but less polished at the same time. Like their editing is not as quick and to the point, and you know they'll be kind of like all-purpose aviation, which mm-hmm. can get kind of boring to lay people. But I think it's just I, I guess I like I like plane crash YouTube just because it it because uh, like my, my husband works in aerospace and it's just kind of like a good entryway to understanding just how aviation works, how airplanes work. What's the difference between like, you know, a Boeing and an Airbus and a Cessna, sure. like what actually causes uh you know, plane crashes because like 99 times out of 100 it was something that was preventable you know, like it was something like either the contingency hadn't been invented yet or there was a contingency and somebody messed up like somebody on the ground forgot to take the tape off the pitot tubes the uh, you know uh, speed indicators mm-hmm. or like the the pilot forgot to perform a checklist or something like that like so it's just interesting to like know um, also that like turbulence almost never means the plane is going to crash like you know sometimes it does but like people the things people are afraid of in aviation tend to be kind of irrational and this is what you should be afraid of you know (laughs) (laughs) okay so so it's educational both about the mechanics of the plane and what you should actually be afraid of how afraid you should be i guess like i was wondering if this was reassuring to you because these are the exceptions or is it like validating a fear that you have about air travel like no i'm not i'm not afraid of air travel at all yeah um i i guess I, i do travel a lot um, cause it's, it is interesting. Like once you look at the, um, 
Because, you know, say what you want about 9-11, it did make air travel a lot safer. Um, It is what it is. Because, like, basically, there have been very few fatal commercial air disasters in the United States, like, since 2010. When you look at, like, the list, literally one of the most recent ones was Kobe Bryant. Like, even that is included in, like, the commercial air disaster. Um, And that was a helicopter. It wasn't even a plane. You know, because, like, stuff like that does still happen, but it is just, uh, you know, it's interesting, like, just every time a plane does crash, every time there is a fatal accident or even a non-fatal accident, there's basically, like, this worldwide, like, okay, here's what happened and here are the recommendations. And a lot of times it'll, like, kind of get coded into, like, international aviation law. Well, not law, but, like, basically it kind of gets, you know, if X airline doesn't follow these recommendations, then they'll get blacklisted. So basically everyone has to follow of them and so it's just kind of interesting to know like you know historically why did planes crash like especially like in the 70s like man <laughs> you were really taking your life into your hands by getting on a plane <laughs> and as opposed to now it's just like you know you more likely to get hit by lightning several times than be in any plane crash let alone die in one yeah so it's just i, I guess I, I just kind of like i'm always interested in why they happen or you know used to I, they still happen but like right. why they used to happen and how do you feel about the representation of, of air disasters in movies? Like, do you seek out movies, either fictional ones or based on a true story, ones that, that, no. are, that are about, you know? <laughs> well, like, like United 93. Or uh, also like Flight, which was sort of loosely inspired by uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flight. rolled a plane. Yeah, yeah the, the, air, the disaster that Flight was based on, I believe it, it was an Alaska Airlines flight. Uh-huh. And the interesting thing was, it, like, basically that movie was based on an idea that, like, they might have been able to, like, pull out of it. Like, uh-huh. if they had done this, this, and this. And basically it was sort of like a thought experiment, like, Denzel Washington's character, like, if, like, they could have pulled out of it in a way that, yeah. like... For people who haven't seen the movie and they haven't seen Flight, the plane is going down and he decides to flip it upside down uh, in order to stabilize it and then kind of ditch it in the ground. like to, to Yeah, basically, like, flies it upside down for a minute and then flips it right side up and then uh, uh, crashes it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I wouldn't, that's not a, yeah, I was like, that's not a controlled ditching. It's only a ditching if it's in the water. Ah, <laughs> like, I see. <laughs> yeah, so, like, uh, uh, United, uh, whatever, the Miracle on the Hudson, that was right. a controlled Sully. ditching. Yeah, yeah Sully. Uh, and that was, like, one of the first, like, completely successful controlled ditchings where nobody died. Like, usually controlled ditching, like, ten times out of ten, somebody's going to drown. Yeah. Uh, so that's why it was a miracle. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't really have very much interest in that, to be honest, because it's, like, uh, they're always wrong. It's flight like gets so much wrong, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm glad I didn't know when I saw it because I enjoyed it at the time when I saw it. Um, but because it's mostly like a character study, it's not really about the plane. But it has that one scene of the plane going down, which I think what most people remember about the movie if they've seen yeah, it yeah, yeah. is just this visceral terror. <laughs> of I the think plane there's going a down. there's another like trope you see in movies all the time where like alien invasion happens and a plane just like falls out of the sky like a rock yeah you know and that's just that's not how planes work uh, <laughs> and like they're like uh, there's this movie that nobody remembers called the fifth wave uh that starred uh chloe grace moritz um and it was an inv- alien invasion movie and uh there i, th- I think there was a a plot point that like an EMP happens and it also happens in War of the Worlds come to think of it where it's just like a plane is like they look up right after the EMP happens and the plane just like 
just falls like a rock. But like, no, planes are ba- like, think of a paper plane. Like, you know, they don't fall like a rock. They glide. Right. Uh, so like stuff like that, like that would only happen if it had like just taken off. And so like that trope, I think is funny now that, you know, once you, once you learn how like, you no know, planes can't fall, like they can, even if they completely run out of fuel, which has happened s- many times, the pilot will just glide it like either onto like into a controlled ditch in the water or like land on grass or like a lot. There was one that like ran out of fuel over the Atlantic ocean and like just kind of by accident. And they were like, Oh shit. Uh, where's the nearest airport? And then they just glided it like some, like a couple hundred miles Whoa. to an airport in, in, the, in the Azores, like in the middle of the Atlantic and <laughs> landed it safely and everybody lived. When I run out of gas, I just have to call AAA. That's a little yeah. bit more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's like, it's, I find it kind of reassuring when you learn about disasters where it seems like, how could this possibly be survivable? And it's just like, oh yeah, there, there, there are definitely ways. I mean, yeah. it can be nerve wracking, but like sometimes it's totally survivable. I, I don't know. I think you should. This should be a future video essay for you. I think. I think you need to do something about about uh, air disasters, Disaster either in real YouTube. life or in movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the YouTube channel Disaster Breakdown. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. Lindsay, I asked you for someone who makes you laugh, and you said Drew Gooden, who is on YouTube at Drew Gooden One and the number one, and on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Is Gooden. And Gooden is spelled G-O-O-D-E-N. Talk about the kind of videos that Drew makes and and why they make you laugh. Well, Drew is like one of the very few uh, Vine refugees that actually made a successful transition onto YouTube. Which kind of makes sense why if you're good at Vine, you wouldn't be great at YouTube because, like, you know, it's just like very short, snappy, very quick editing as opposed to YouTube, which especially like later, it's like the algorithm uh, privileges longer videos. But he's just like, he'll pick kind of random topics like like youtubers often do like i bought every ad i got on instagram for a week or or he might do a video about other youtube channels or like i auditioned for kids bob like just kind of random stuff that uh you know because like there's definitely like that sort of like all-purpose youtube channel where they'll be like i here's a, a kitschy dumb thing that i did and just did a video on it but he's just like a really funny editor he's like a really good editor um he you know very good sense of timing and humor so it's just like doesn't really matter what he what topic he does he just he's very good at finding any taking any topic and making it funny yeah i just watched a video that he did that was it was like a game show an old game show he discovered by accident where like a really badly designed game show and he has discovered it at 2 a.m uh, and it's just about this guy who is just really fast at this really and really good at playing this very badly designed game show. And on the on paper, that doesn't sound like much of anything. But you're right; he does manage to take that and make it into something really entertaining with the editing that he does, with his reactions to how the guy is playing and how poorly everyone else is playing. Um, it, it, it's 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 very creative. It's very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, and this is like a lot of times it's like stuff you wouldn't have even thought to do, like. I watched one SNL episode from every season. Like, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. Or, you know, or um, let's take a look at the best and worst rated show on every streaming service. Are they actually that bad or that good? Oh, that's a great premise. I got to watch that yeah. one. <laughs> so it's like, I think it is honestly surprisingly difficult to come up with premises like that where you look yeah. at it, you're like, oh yeah, I, like, I am curious. Let's see. Uh, so like, he's, he's, he's good at coming up with premises like that and actually executing them in, in a way. And also like his videos are like, again, relatively short, usually less than 20 minutes, which is also good. People should be 
should make shorter videos. I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> people, you know, some unnamed people. <laughs> yeah, some people should make shorter videos. So were you, were you following him back in the Vine days? No. I, I mean, like, I knew of some of his vines because he had some of the, like, more uh, famous vines. Like, so I'd, like, seen the vines, but I didn't know. Because I, I didn't follow people on Vine. I, like, I'm, I, I'm just not a, I'm not a fan of that type. Like, I'll watch some <laughs> compilations, but, like, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on Snapchat. Like, and I definitely wasn't on Vine. Um, so it's, like, if it, came, if it comes onto it. It's a very specialized skill set. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, like, if it pops up, like, in a compilation, I'll watch it. But, like, I definitely like i'll see like tiktok or so and so i'm like oh god i have one foot in the grave like <laughs> i have no idea who this is <laughs> i was gonna ask you said you said that drew was uh known for some of the like very famous vines do you, do you remember if it was, was there a particular one that he was um known for or some some really famous one yeah poor guy i was like i don't i don't know drew but like i know he's sick of this uh but like it, like i think the one he was most famous for was um there was a sign that said road, road work. work ahead. Uh, yeah, I sure hope it does. Oh, he's that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen that one a lot. I didn't realize that was true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he got he probably looked pretty young, like in his late teens, early twenties. Yeah, but but no, that vine actually encapsulates something I noticed without realizing it was him. His delivery, the way he the way he he delivers punchlines, is very. Um, John Mulaney-esque, very, mm-hmm. like, sarcastic, theatrical, yeah, yeah, yeah. about something that doesn't actually matter, about the way he emphasizes things, it's like, this is really important. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very it's a very fun style, yeah. Yeah, I think that, like, John Mulaney is a good point of comparison. But yeah, you, and you mentioned one of his videos was that he bought everything he saw advertised on Instagram for a month, I think then he just did a sequel to that. Uh, do you have any weird products that you've, that you've ever bought from the internet, just from, from seeing a random random ad like that um you know the thing about those ads is i find that most or some of the time when you actually fall for them they don't send you anything you uh. just your money disappears into a black hole like one time i bought a a pokemon ball weed grinder <laughs> never saw that one like no. that was supposed to be a christmas present but like mm. yeah never saw it uh no i the, i don't I ha- the ones i usually fall for are like clothing ads but like honestly my experience with buying like clickbait you know, Facebook ad clothing has been pretty positive. So, <laughs> like, they're ch- cheap, shitty clothes, but they fit and they look like they're supposed to. So, I guess I can't complain. It was only twenty bucks. Yeah, well, yeah. I, re- I recommend his his video about this. I was watching one of the ones that he did, and it's just like it's a backpack, a waterproof backpack, and the, the oh the, yeah, the, the <laughs> two hundred dollars. It's a two hundred dollar backpack, and the guy's just like bragging about like, wow, it's it's one pocket, and just trying to figure out something. The, the ad is trying to figure out something to say. Literally one huge pocket. There's so much space in here. What? A bag with a pocket? That's crazy! In addition to this huge pocket, there's also this mesh pocket on the insides. There's this side pocket right here. Wow. I bet you could put stuff in it. 10 out of 10. The bag itself is probably fine, but I think this is just a testament to how hard it is to advertise a product that already exists because there's like nothing else to say. Let me tell you guys, this new product from Lamp.com is absolutely incredible. If you've never seen one of these, it actually turns on and then light comes out of it. I, I would turn it on right now, but I can't. It's not plugged in anything. 
Well, that was Drew Gooden, who's on YouTube at Drew Gooden one and it's the number one. Lindsay, thank you for sharing your follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? Uh, don't. <laughs> the internet is bad and should feel bad. Uh, but uh, I guess you can find me on YouTube, uh, on Instagram, uh, name brand Lindsay. And don't follow me on Twitter. Don't be on Twitter. Get off Twitter. Twitter is bad. And how can people pre-order your new book? Um, well, if you go to my Twitter, you'll find a bio. <laughs> go to Twitter. Link. Don't follow there. Don't stick around long. <laughs> yeah, just go go to my Twitter bio and immediately leave. And then block Twitter from your computer and or mobile devices. Uh, or you can just go to Macmillan's website. The pre-order link is there. And then once you inevitably unblock Twitter, you can follow me there at HeyHeyESJ. You can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram at FollowFridayPod. And you can find clips from the show at followfriday.co slash YouTube. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermerwan. Special thanks to Lindsay's assistant, Elisa, for her help scheduling this podcast. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday. Hey, one more thing before we go. Please nominate Follow Friday in the Discover Pods Awards. You can find the link to do that in the show notes, or you can go to followfriday.net slash discover. When you go to that link, it'll take you to the ballot where you should write in Follow Friday for two of the categories. Best new or debut podcast of the year and best interview style podcast. So please write us in for those two categories when you go to followfriday.net slash discover. Check it out when you can. Nominations are only open for one more week. Thank you.